Hello and welcome to the podcast program In Community and Company, a program presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanized. It's produced by the Community Engagement Program at Point Park University, and I'm your host, Eric Sloss. I'm here today with two people, Annie Fifik, a PhD student in the Community Engagement Program at Point Park, and um, Veronica Peniotu. She is a PhD candidate in the same program. They're both studying uh, research on food insecurity. Welcome. Thanks, Eric. I'm excited to be here. Me too. Thanks, Eric. Well, you know, it was interesting pulling together some information about looking at some data here. It says nearly a billion people across the world experience the effects of food insecurity. And this is according to the United States Agency for International Development. Food security means having at all times both physical and economic access to sufficient food to meet dietary needs for a productive and healthy life. You're both interested in this topic. Um, How did you become interested in it, Annie? Uh, so for me personally, um, growing up in uh, rural Pennsylvania, I'm originally from Johnstown, Pennsylvania, uh, during the time of, uh, you know, the economic depression, uh, my parents both lost both of their jobs. Um, and at that time, we had an income of $20,000 to support four people. So so what's the time frame? Like the 80s? The uh, So we're talking like early 90s. Okay. Um, at that time, um, we're, I mean, I was young. My sure. sister was young, um, both under the age of 10 at that time. Two parents are trying to support themselves and the children. Um, So we went from having about $80,000 in the household to $20,000. And due to that, we had to start utilizing food pantries. Um, At that time, obviously, things have changed. We've grown as a society, but still underlining was the humiliation factor of going to a food pantry. Um, Not just going to get food because you need it, because it's a basic need, um, but the underlying stigma of being humiliated to go and kind of like beg for food. Um, So for me, that understanding and that kind of stigma that went along with it, I'm growing up just realizing that food is a basic need. I mean, Veronica and I were just talking about this a little bit ago. Um, And understanding that in order to survive, you need healthy, sustainable food to process your body, to function every day. And if you aren't receiving that, what can the outcomes be? And we're experiencing that on all levels of society, um, whether you are still living in poverty or not. Um, So for me, my passion is just my personal lived experiences. And how can we change the stigma of food pantries. Well, I think that's actually pretty interesting because I grew up with a similar situation when my dad lost his um, job from the steel mill. Uh, we were going through, so, th- so you know, the, the economy was bad. Uh, my dad lost a job. My mom was the breadwinner. She was still going through through um, through her, her own career challenges. And um, we had three boys, so we were just eating the house completely clean. And we were growing, um, but we didn't have the support to, and we'd never really had the opportunity. We were kind of in a rural suburban area, but we never really understood what options were available. But there was definitely, I could imagine the stigma that comes through with that and participating in it. I was involved in a, in a project where we were trying to uh, increase participation in after-school meal programs in the city of Pittsburgh. And one of the things that we found was even those people who are poor don't want to participate in after-school meal programs because they don't want to be seen as poor. And and I'm and I'm wondering in in your now your your professional experience and maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Um, what does the stigma? Are you are you seeing the stigma go away? You kind of alluded to that already. 
Um, um, I think more we are, but there still is the underlying stimming. So, like, um, I tell people, and, I mean, Veronica can probably attest that when you see one food pantry, you've only seen one food pantry, regardless if it's at a university, at a church, at a nonprofit. I mean, the, the social environment that comes from a food pantry is totally different given the setting that it's provided. Um, so, for me and, like, my personal strive is to make food pantries no different than you going to a grocery store. I mean, it should be no different. I mean, at the time, yes, you can afford to go to a grocery store and maybe right now you can go to Whole Foods, but next week, maybe you don't have the same circumstance. So why should you not have the same experience at Whole Foods that you have at Aldi's, but why would you say have it at like the food pantry? Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it just keeps going to that. And then what's even more remarkable for me is like you talk about food insecurity and just adding on to that, but they added then to that definition, socially acceptable means of receiving food then as well. So then we get to this factor of you can't even afford to put food on your table. Let's actually ask you to do in so like in acceptable means of achieving that food then so then you can provide for your family. So I think that was just also just adding to that. I think that people are also acknowledging how hard it is and even the government is acknowledging and actually including that into their definition now. And too with the definition I would I would add um, when I look at food insecurity it's are they eating healthy food? Or are they eating food from, you know, snacks from the 7-Eleven? Are they eating cheap with food with no nutritional value? I look at that um, saying that people are food insecure if they're not eating rich, healthy food as well. And also the making sure they have healthy food and a way to actually... Students, when I look at students, they're taking... Are they getting enough calories? They might be eating every meal, but what are they eating? eating are they splitting a a container of ramen noodles into three separate meals Mm. that's food insecurity still they might still be eating getting a little bit of uh, nutrition and calories but if they're not eating the recommended then they're food still food insecure secure whether they know it or not i remember you know um the the creative ways that one would when, when when you're growing up poor the ways that you would try to find to get those calories and I remember my go-to meal was a can of condensed tomato soup with elbow noodles so, so then so then we get into the factor that and then you bring up a really good point Eric is so we get into the factor of all right we're gonna start living off canned good items. I don't know if you ever had a time or the time of day to turn around and read a nutrition label on one of those cans. Um, my staff member and I will have like a couple of times and we like, don't get me wrong. I love canned good drives. I think they're the greatest thing in the world. And I so appreciate them for the staples that we need. However, when you look at a soup and you turn it over and there are three servings in the can and each have 800 milligrams of sodium, what are we actually doing to Mm -hmm. persons that are we, quote, helping? If anything, we're causing them more problems. If you look at people that are food insecure, they're the highest population for diabetes. They're the highest population for blood pressure, heart disease, everything. You're only increasing that and making them more like insecure with everything going on. So it's just sometimes you have to really watch that fine line of okay we're going to provide you shelf stable items however this is your not your end all be all like you still have to incorporate the fresh produce right well i i didn't even know how to eat healthy food and i remember like embarrassingly a girl i was dating and i this i i I had that (laughs) same culinary taste into college Mm -hmm. 
And she's like, what are you eating? You're eating poor people's food. That's disgusting. Mm-hmm. She's like, you need vegetables. You know? So there is there is that education process that you need to, to kind of understand how to balance a good diet. Veronica, you're, you're coming at this at a really interesting angle. This is some uh, statistics, some in, in information, a group of researchers out of University of Illinois. They say, even the lowest of food insecurity highlights a serious problem on college campuses. Uh, the researchers found, the lowest estimates found that food insecurity affects one in five or about 20% of students, which is amazing to me. Like you think about like college campus, we're here on Point Park University, downtown Pittsburgh. There's all kind of restaurants around. There's cafeterias, you know, there's, there's all these. And then, and then you, you went ahead and opened up this pantry. This is the core of your research. How is that statistic real? So it's even worse here at Point Park University. It's not one in five. It's four in 10. Wow. Okay, so it's two and five um, here at Point Park. Um, food insecurity also, we didn't, is the cost of food. Sure, we have a lot of healthy restaurants around here, but can students afford healthy restaurants? Can they afford the healthy options? Are they going home and feeding their families, not just eating here on campus? Um, Point Park is unique in the fact, if you look at the demographics of the university, the university was built on this premise of the second chance university so we have a huge demographic of students and and older individuals who are supporting a family that are coming back to get a better education so that they can support themselves in this ever-changing economy Um, we have a huge population of international students who cannot work in the united states Mm. Mm -hmm. um, that rely on the pantry for supplemental food um, because unfortunately, Point Park and like many other private universities in this country, they have very um, the food because of the small population is very expensive even on campus. I mean, it's pure economics, right? The food service has to provide food at a certain level so that they can make a profit. Mm. And unfortunately, we're not a pit. We're not 40, 50, 60,000 students. We are 3,000 students. Ridiculously expensive. The options aren't great. And most students can't live on one or two meals a day right. through their food plan anyway, and that's all they can afford, and they have to have it. Um, it's The conversation just continues, you know, in circles sometimes. You feel like, you know, we're, we brought a healthy um, provider of food choices on campus, but the price is so expensive. Mm. And then, you know, you're surrounded by restaurants, which ne- not necessarily are the best food choices either. Going to the grocery store and taking buying whole foods we also sit in a food desert. A point two is then there's transportation. We are a small university. We do not have free IDs to provide us with transportation. And I do believe the closest grocery store is Aldi's or Shop and Save or? So there's one on the north side, which is about, it's a bridge. Yeah. So, so the one in the south side. So that's another, probably bridge. another bridge. <laughs> yeah. What uh, are we talking about though? I mean, we're talking about how many miles? I mean, I guess, you know, I, uh, Pittsburgh's unique in these geographic boundaries and challenges that we have to get over rivers and right. we have to get over hills. And that is a, is, a, is a real challenge for those who need healthy food. 
Right. So we're talking about a desert as in not able to access fresh, nutritious produce um, or anything that would provide you with a, a sustainable diet. Um, the transportation barriers that overcome then because of that, um, like we talked about the economy because of that as well. So even though, like we, like Veronica said, we, we're known for food in Pittsburgh, like come to Permani Brothers, <laughs> eat some French fries, like have some holushki. But in the reality of it is when you have a student that is from a different state coming to Point Park University, living in poverty, having the lowest of the meal plans that they can have, that's two meals a day, like Veronica said, they can't then afford to go on the bus because our, our IDs don't provide that for us. So then they're expected to have the change to do that. Then they're expected to go to the store if they don't have any disability barriers physically to keep them from that, to buy the food, to then carry it back on the bus. I mean, like, there's so many you things. You know, that's actually yeah. that's actually pretty interesting in terms of, I had a friend from Lancaster who came to Point Park University, like, coming from, you know, Amish country mm-hmm. to downtown Pittsburgh. And that's got to be pretty daunting and intimidating. You would think you know, how many years it would take him just to leave a certain footprint, right? Mm -hmm. For him to go to the north side, how long did it take him to get there? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe some students are more adventurous than others, for sure. But, you know, there's there takes some time to adapt. What, Veronica, maybe you could tell me some, you know, personalities, people. Is it kind of like people experiencing homelessness? Like, you you know, you never know who's going to come and participate in the food pantry. You never know who's going to experience it. You never know who's going to need it. You never know if the gas bill is going to be extra high. You never know if the tire is going to blow on your car that you use to support your family. Now you're paying for transportation because your tire's out. But have you ever replaced a tire? You can't always replace one. you got to replace four. Right. Um, so you never, so we had it with the premise that anybody can use it. They're college students. To me, that was the need. Um, and we take everyone who comes to the door and says they need help. And we designed the pantry. I know we we were talking a lot about um, the stigma of it. We tried to design the pantry with as less stigma as possible. Um, And we did the research on it. We asked students in our survey. We asked, we looked at the research that had already been done. I think the the good thing or the progress that we've made may, may, may not be eliminating the stigma from the culture itself, but recognizing it, I think, is a huge step. Um, I know we were, we were talking about when I was growing up, we were at the poverty line, but my father would never have went to a food pantry, ever. Because of stigma. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, same with mine. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. never. Um, we just made ends meet and, you know, borrowed from grandma or, right. you know, just went round robin. Um, but we never would have stepped foot. Yep. That wasn't for us. We weren't that poor. Or right. We weren't those people. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I guess, you know, not getting involved in a food pantry now, running one, um, essentially, uh, what is your outlook on the empathy of this world, which we desperately need? And what, how, are you, how are you coping with that just from a personal uh, journey? So the empathy question, I mean, that's a huge question. You turn on the TV, you turn on social media. Empathy is in, is in quite low supply. Um, and I think that it takes people like us um, who have dedicated ourselves, Annie and I, have community engagement and, and helping others. It takes us to be leaders in this space. Um, it takes uh, putting the issues out there. It takes being brave. Um, being brave and having courage, I think, is also in a little bit of short supply. And coming back to the basics, we live in 
Um, I'm also an early childhood educator, Mr. Rogers, and, and recognizing... Steal my man. Don't <laughs> steal my man, Veronica. <laughs> he was mine. And coming back to these, reawakening these principles of loving your neighbor. And we do it just, I mean, just walking down the street with those principles and trying to, I mean, we can't force anybody to be more empathetic. We can't force anybody to be more kind, but we can definitely do it. We, Annie and I, know we definitely believe in it. Podcast, the premise of this podcast is how does this topic galvanize community, right? How does it shock or, or excite a community into taking action? I, I guess I challenge you, what, what, what is it about food insecurity that should shock us into taking action? I think what is in it? I mean, at this, like you need food every single day to do what you do, to wake up, to go to sleep, to do your work, to sit at a desk. Like you need it for everything. And imagine it just being taken away from you for no reason whatsoever. And you have to climb and pull your way out to do whatever it means possible to make food on the table and there is no way and there is no reason why people should have to bend over backwards and ask for food i mean i'm sorry as a community and as community members it is our job to step in at that time and provide those resources because like veronica said i mean just sitting here i did kind of math while we were sitting here <laughs> so if you make forty thousand dollars a year your take home every month is what like twenty four hundred dollars like say you have a a mortgage that's what twelve hundred dollars, fourteen hundred dollars. There's half of your income right there. Then you have a car payment. You have student loans. You have insurance. Then if you have kids, I feel I'm so sorry because I have no idea how you're affording it financially. So at the end of the day, as a single woman, if I'm making forty thousand dollars, I have two hundred and fifty dollars at the end of the month. And how am I putting food on my table for myself? No less if I had a family. And that's what, I, for me, and maybe Veronica and I are in the field so long that I'm just kind of like dumbfounded sometimes, but it's food. It is food. <laughs> you say that. I know, I, I know. I, so I did, I surveyed when I wanted to, the, the biggest part about solving community problems is you ha there has to be the problem. Not that we're saying that this isn't a problem, but I wanted to make sure that if I was going to put the energy into making a pantry or a program, that we actually had this problem on campus. And boy, did it whack me in the face, the problem we had on this campus. But I surveyed faculty and I surveyed students and faculty. The response from some of them was, we are not in the food pantry business. Okay, we are an educational institute. But I will say, though, as, as a person who gets that, you got that feedback, and you're like, these people are idiots. Like, do they <laughs> not care about students? And I looked at it, and I said, how can I make this into a positive? And at the time, I wasn't even considering being an affiliate of the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. I thought, we can do this ourselves. It's not rocket science. You just fill up something with food, and you give it out, right? But... When you get these pushback, you know, this feedback, like, what do you know about opening, dealing with food? Okay. Um, we decided to become affiliate of the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. We got great training materials. We got their support. We got the ability to buy food um, as well. And it made us stronger. It made us a more of a pillar. And... It took us an extra year, the good and the bad. I can say that there is no one who can say that we are not in the business because now we are a partner in the business, right? 
So we have to, when we go and we solve community problems, we look at these big things like our basic needs, like homelessness and food insecurity and clothing, we should have partners, there should be collaboration, and we should be able to take the negative feedback that we get and make it positive. I think that's more of a strength than a weakness um, for building these things because they have to have great foundations because people need it. They really, really need it. I think food is important as well just to like get everyone together and kind of get amped about it is because I think it opens the door for so many other real issues that people are facing I think it's such a like a simple opening door um, like whether you're handing food out I know at our pantry in Oakland um, when you're handing food out to people and maybe they don't know how to use something and you start using a very personal maybe family recipe and then that door kind of opens and that pa- the person comes back because they love their experience and they love that recipe then the next time they come back they go well I couldn't afford food last month because I can't afford my electric bill. My electric bill got shut off. So then you start this band-aid of, okay, food insecurity is actually just this huge band-aid of these real, real issues that we are facing as a society that we kind of have turned a blind eye to. So I think for me too, I think food insecurity is just a great stepping stone of how do we really overcome these obstacles? Let's start with food. I mean, like, yeah, you come around the table. Let's, let's talk about these particular, let's break bread together, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole concept of it. Well, it's funny you say that. So, um, we get people all the time coming to the volunteer at the pantry. We had a woman from Germany a couple weeks ago, and their pantries are called Breaking Bread. And you actually go to strangers' tape, like their homes and they serve you meals and they rotate every I guess couple months of families that serve meals, but it's called Breaking Bread. That's great. (laughs) Uh, That's that's fantastic. It's like, you know, that's my my trouble of of the, the, the term itself, insecurity. Are there better ways to describe it? You know, um, you know, there's 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 the conversations about homelessness but it's really people experiencing homelessness and they're going to get out of it. Um, but the language of food pantry, one wonders if that is how, is that perpetuating the stigma or not. I mean, pantry doesn't seem like an intimidating word, but everybody knows when you say a food pantry, it's for the poor. But you wonder what could be the new brand of a food pantry, like Breaking Bread. Well, yeah, and then the big thing to include, too, is, okay, it's easy that we're going to go to the pantry and we're going to serve you food, but how if... Okay, so we, we realize that you have a transportation barrier. Okay, so you're having a transportation issue and some healthcare issues. Let's have somebody come in from a healthcare agency to sign you up here because you're already here for transportation. You're having transportation issues. Okay, let's have um, the city of Pittsburgh come in and like really survey clients of why we're having transportation barriers. And I think that's where we're starting to see is like some of these resource centers or even um, some of the initiative centers that are coming up around the city is they're becoming resource hubs where food is included, but not just central Multiple folks. services. Exactly. To, and I think that's what we yeah. need to start doing, which I was so glad to see that our pantry is where it is because I think you can be connected to so many other resources. So hopefully that was something we did on purpose. To get that little, I mean, so another th- big barrier on a university's campus is square footage. Right. I mean, I was lucky to get that closet. Um it was an old, it was actually an old food service closet. I mean, basically that's, and that's the location. It sits right outside our Point Cafe. Um, and it was handed over by the Dean of uh, Student Affairs, willingly gave it over. I was so pleased um, because he didn't want it to be hidden somewhere. We did the research. We found that in other schools, um, the, for example, the one for the University of Pittsburgh is located at in a the church. church. I do business the... with them. Yes, yes, ma'am. I know exactly where it's located. In the basement um, of a non-campus building. And so 
there's a there's a there's a level of responsibility um that we're not hiding i think also the pantry our pantry isn't just a pantry so the mission that goes along with it talks about healthy eating it talks about relieving the perception and stigma i think that um it depends on what your mission is if a food pantry's mission is just to provide food then that's what they're gonna do but our pantry, we wanted to take the next step, and we wanted to say we wanted to talk about it. Students wanted – I mean, I think that was the most surprising to me. The survey response that I initially did was overwhelming, and students' thoughts about it were out of this world with their their stories and why they would need it and why they would use it. And the Point Park media picked it up like crazy. The Globe, um, student reporters calling me um, – and saying, wow, like somebody's actually talking about something that actually matters. Like, why didn't we do this a long time ago? Um, we also, another thing you'll learn when you're doing uh, surveys for the university or when uh, you're trying to get your problem across, um, other people come to the table and they're like, oh, well, I really need to know about homelessness too. Can you put some homelessness questions mm. in your food insecurity survey? I did because I oh, wanted, whoa. I did all right, all because right. I was like, oh, we'll turn it into a basic needs survey um, because I wanted it to be done. Sometimes you have to compromise. And so <laughs> the two questions about homelessness really resonated with students too. It made it my food insecurity survey even more popular because who talks about homelessness in college? And they were just like, whoa, maybe you, Maybe you're on to like we're on to something. We need to start supporting our students, supporting our students. So it was very, it was very interesting how how problems like you were saying they go together, right? You start talking about one problem right. and then have the you, other problem. Have you looked at grades since you did the the food pantry? Have you seen any? That would be really cool to see. So people, sorry, I'm just no, like no, I'm no. getting really excited like no. thinking about like so, hmm. so other universities. A lot of universities look at. Their student engagement surveys. Okay. They have those every year. And they've added food insecurity questions okay. into them um, so that they can see if students become more productive on campus through gotcha. these surveys. So that's how typical mm. universities look at it. Okay. Grade-wise, they look at engagement gotcha. overall. Gotcha. Um, but we could look at retention rates. We could look yes. at um, all kinds of things. So. But tell me uh, about your pantry your food pantry what uh, what are the hours where is it located yeah. and... um so my just my life um is located at 370 lawn street in south oakland um so i'm a part of the community human services food pantry we have been around for a little over a decade right now um we are one of the largest food pantries in the city of pittsburgh we serve approximately 650 families a month equating to about 2500 persons as of last week for the 2018 2019 year i am serving 18,784 individuals living wow. in Allegheny County. Um, we are actually one of the smallest physical pantries, though, um, so we have some barriers there. But we are open every week, which is super exciting. Thursdays are from 3 until 6. Fridays are 11 to 2. 
Um, to eliminate some barriers that people experience, um, we just ask for the simple self-declaration form that you meet poverty guidelines, and that is about it. Um, I have some simple demographic information that we get for ourselves to collect for data, to report back for grant writing. Uh, but besides that, I don't need a license. I don't need any income, nothing, because that only creates more problems. I'm here to more give barriers. you food. Yep, yeah. more barriers. Um, more barriers. Um, I'm just there to give you food, have a good time, connect you to other resources, and go from there. Um, the biggest thing about our food pantry, unlike other things, and maybe um, Veronica could look into this a little bit more, uh, we hand out animal food. So we hand out mm. pet food, dog yeah. food. That's a big thing of ours as mm. well. So we're actually able to serve a about 400 furry animals a month living in the city um, and handing out about five tons of animal food a year then. I'm so. <laughs> we we do, and you probably do too, um, people don't think about hygiene products. Yes, yes. So huge. hygiene, yes, hygiene products are huge. They're very expensive, especially if you're not going to a grocery store, going to a CVS or your local drugstore. Yeah. Those things are marked up so much. So much. Yeah. Um, uh, so yes, we do that too. Um, not pet food yet, but yeah. that's we're always willing to expand. We're we're in our little closet trying to do fresh produce. So uh, yes, let, well, uh, so actually, we'll tag onto that. Um, we um do fresh produce as well. We're actually known for our fresh produce. So out of everything we hand out, fifty eight percent of what we hand out is fresh produce. Um, I do not focus on canned good items, as I said previously. I don't believe they like they're going to solve food insecurity at all. Um, I think they actually um, create other health concerns. So we have a small canned good item. So basically just like pasta, pasta sauce, um, shelf-stable milk, that type of thing. Um, dairy section. So we're handing out eggs, cheese, bread, um, meats that we're getting from Giant Eagle, everywhere from like steaks to fish to that type of thing. And then fresh produce ranging from potatoes, onions, carrots, plums, everything wow. that you could think of. Tomato. Yeah. Cool. So... It's a lot of stuff, but yeah, so fresh produce is huge. I mean, just trying to create that into the idea of people and how can you create, um, use that with canned good items just to incorporate a, a more wholesome diet. How about your pantry, Veronica? So my pantry uh, is based uh, on the internet, so www.pioneerpantry.org. Um, and on that website, we have an order form, so you can select two items uh, per food group um, uh twice a month and then we have an other category so that's like all your unhealthy stuff like candy and hygiene products and so you place that order online within a couple days it's filled you'll get a text saying uh, your order is ready you come up to the window they ask you for your your student ID because that is one of the requirements that we do have well, on campus um, because that's all we identify your bag is um, so it is in a takeout bag so we hand that over so it looks like you're getting takeout um, and you're free to go. Um, so you can do that twice a month uh, here at Point Park. We probably served last month hmm, maybe 150 students. Wow. Um, so fantastic. they get 12 items, up to 24 items once a month. So that's a lot of items coming out of that small little closet. Um, and we're trying to... Uh, we're trying to also do produce, but we're not doing it from the pantry door to order. We're actually just giving it out on campus. Well, if we ever want a tag team to do a mobile distribution day, I think uh, we should cool. talk about it. I think we'd love that. <laughs> um, yeah, we just, yeah. Uh, and giving it out and, and know that, like, anybody can get, I, I think that's part of our thing. Like, anybody can get food. You're a student here. Um, let's get some healthy apples and carrots and things and potatoes. I mean, we struggle with our barriers here. People don't have a full kitchen. Right. You know, they yeah. don't have a ref right. full refrigerator. They can't store things. So right. we're trying to get, we, we do the canned stuff because that's just a necessity. I worried when I did the pantry here, the kids didn't have can openers though. Mm. 
You know, like think about that. How do you open up a can without a can opener? And so that, to me, there's lots of barriers that sure. we just jump through hoops to try to make it as healthy. Do you remember as that like that whole like discussion that millennials don't know how to open up a can of <laughs> can opener? Did you see this? Like yeah, cr- yeah, creepy. Yeah, it's like imagine like that. It's so disgusting. So. I was just like, what? Like, yeah, right. we're trusting you with our economy and our future, and you can't even open a can. I mean, but but it's like, come on, like you I mean, know, so how could you how could you ridicule these? these? As a millennial, I can open up plenty of cans, so it's okay. <laughs> Today well, the, I couldn't, but I think. We can. <laughs> Well, Annie, this is Veronica. This was so much fun. I hope we can do this again. I know. Sometime. I feel like I could this talk for so hours. Oh my God. You got <laughs> well, hey, us listen. Going. Hey, this is only episode one of this important topic, and let's bring in um, friends and and people that are dealing with this issue in in real time. I, I think we want to continue the conversation. How this can help uh, shape this uh, important issue and help uh, at least the lay people and people that aren't dealing with this issue to understand how important it is. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. In Community and Company is a podcast program presenting inspiring conversations about how communities galvanize. It's produced by the Community Engagement Program at Point Park University. I'd like to take a moment to thank the executive producer of this podcast program, Dr. Heather Starr-Fiedler, director of the Community Engagement Program. Thanks to Nick Ruffalo, our studio technician today, who helped us out on the soundboard, and Mr. Andrew Conti, Director of the Center of Media Innovation here at Point Park University.